0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com um, We're learning today Eli Nishmat, my father, whose site uh, is tonight and tomorrow. And that's why I'm here in Eretz Yisrael. So yesterday was Tu B'Shvat. Very hard holiday to understand why we as human beings would celebrate Um, The Rosh Hashanah for trees. First of all, it's totally out of the right Zman, out of the right time. Especially in America. I don't know in Israel so much, but in America you're celebrating the New Year for trees and you look outside and they're dead. There's no leaves, there's no fruit. So it's like, you know, Happy New Year, but all the trees are dead. I would think that the time to celebrate... Thank you very much. I'm going to take care of my camels. Um, So to celebrate Happy New Year would be when the trees are growing... Fruits and apples, and, and and you go outside and you say Happy New Year, and wow, we'll look at these trees. And meanwhile, we go outside and we celebrate pretty much dead trees. Uh, so the question, especially now, I just came out of New York, where everything's full of ice and snow. It doesn't really feel like it's Happy New Year for the trees. If anything, the time to do that would be in the spring, when 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 everything's budding and flowering. So the question is, why do we have two bishwa? Why do we celebrate the 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 New Year for trees in the middle of the winter? And the answer is... First of all, the a is between Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai. Hillel holds two B'Shvat, and Beis Shammai holds the first day of Shvat. What's the argument? What's the argument? What's the new year for trees? What's the difference? What are they arguing about? So the truth is that really what we're celebrating is something we cannot see. We're celebrating that the Esrik tree, Beis Shammai says it starts on the first day of Shvat. Beis Hillel says it starts on the seventh day of Shvat. that the sap, the juice... Begins to go through the roots. Begins to come through the roots of the estric tree. And the day of, of, of Tu Bishvat is the day we're supposed to pray that we should have a nice estrig the coming year. So we're celebrating the big word. What's the big word? What do Jews celebrate? We're not goal-oriented. That's Yavon. That's the Greeks. That's the Olympics. The Olympics celebrates the winner. The Super Bowl celebrates the winner. Sort of unfair. Guys play very, very hard a whole year. And then it comes down to one game. And everything that they did the whole year is totally forgotten. Whoever wears the Super Bowl ring, those are the winners. The other ones you've ever seen, if you've ever watched the Super Bowl or any sport, specifically the Super Bowl, you get these big 280, 320 pound, you know, Football players, and at the end of the game, when they lose, they sit there, and they're crying like little babies, like like, like little girls. These huge football tight ends, and these guys, these huge guys. At the end of the game, they're all sitting there with their heads on their helmets, and they're crying. <coughs> what are you crying about, right? You got into the Super Bowl. In sports, it's winner and loser. That's it. The winner walks off the winner, and no matter how hard you work, at least in a World Series... Or, or in, a, in, a, in, the, in hockey and in basketball, there are seven games. And football is one game, and that's it. And pretty much what we're taught through sports is, you know, there was a famous Vince Lombardi who said, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Today, the coaches are, it's not whether you win or lose, it's whether you win. It doesn't matter how you play the game. If you don't win, it doesn't matter anymore. So we're, we're brought up in a world that's totally goal-driven. You got to win. You lose? Nope, no one cares how hard you tried. Doesn't make a difference if the quarterback has broken legs and he's playing on on a broken arm and a broken leg. Who cares? If you if you if you can't win, you're a loser. And that is the world of Yavon, that is the Gaisha non Jewish world. Our world, believe it or not, the missionary pick ever says, Loyalekam Lakha Ligmar. It's not for you to finish the job. What kind of what, what kind of mission is that? I was very happy. I never did a full uh, report from in Hebrew, and every time the rabbi complained, everyone did ten pages. Why did you do two? So the mission says it's not for you to finish. It's not my like, You can't you can't yell at me. You can't get upset at me. But that's the truth in Judaism. It's effort. I'm malus by Torah. It's not how much Torah you know. It's the work that you did in Torah. So we're not we're not goal driven. We're effort driven, and therefore. On 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 Tu B'Shvat, we're not celebrating the fruit because there is no fruit on the trees. It's, they're, they're bare, they're barren. We're celebrating the big word. What's the big word? It's the big word. Bird. Bird. Potential. <laughs> potential is the big word. Potential. A person's potential. That's what we celebrate. We go to a wedding. I have a friend, and he. Um, he goes to weddings. So, you know, you go to a wedding today, yeah, you write a check for 100 bucks or $180 to cover the meal and everything else. You shouldn't feel like you're a freeloader. He doesn't write a check. He writes a check for $180, but he postdates it five years. So right now on his checks, it says, yeah, 2021. I'm like, are you crazy? You send this guy a check for five years. First, they're going to lose it, right? You know what I'm he says, listen, there's so many divorces... I am not writing a check. I'm gonna wait, I'm waiting five years. So in the old days when I got married, they used to give us, um, American bonds. So it's like a hundred dollar bond, but you bought it for like sixty dollars, and then twenty years later it's worth a hundred dollars. Same idea. Right? So he's like, I keep writing checks, every, and two years later they're all divorced. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to celebrate divorce, divorce lawyers. So he writes it five years. So the truth is, he's right. Why do we, why do we get so excited, go to a wedding, spend all this money on music, and our flowers, right? Twenty thousand, forty thousand, sixty thousand dollars. Crazy money. Not here in Israel, but in America. Crazy money. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're gonna get into a fight and within a year they're gonna get divorced. What are you? So what should we do? We should spend the money on the 50th anniversary. Two people are married. They're married 50 years. They have children. They have grandchildren. They have great grandchildren. And they still love each other. They're not killing each other, right? They're still talking to each other. They can't hear each other, but still talking to each other, right? We should spend! A lot of money with a band. Okay, they can't hear the band. And, 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 and food and, and flowers. You made it! 50 years together? That's a party. What do we do at a 50th anniversary? Go to a restaurant by the two old people at Samil. The the family comes. Someone gets up and makes a speech to show a couple of pictures of what it used to look like, what it used to be. We spend a thousand dollars. I understand. They made it. Those two don't, they didn't make it yet because We celebrate a bar mitzvah. What's the bar mitzvah? The kid's only 13 years old. He hasn't learned that much, right? We celebrate the bar mitzvah is the potential to do mitzvahs. There's always a famous question. The father gets up. It sounds like a terrible thing. Father gets up and says, Baruch Shapitrani, thank you God that I no longer have to carry this child. That I no longer have to worry about his sins. You don't want to carry his sins, you don't. You, you're his father, don't you? Because the other side of the thing, coin is that because you don't have to carry his sins, you also don't get his mitzvahs. He gets his own mitzvahs. So potential, we celebrate a, a bar mitzvah with the potential of every kid when he's thirteen that he's bar mitzvah And now he can do his own mitzvahs. That's crazy potential. You take a single girl, right, and you take a single boy who, being as single people, they can't have a family, they can't build a bias them on and you put them together, the potential of these two people to build a bias Nemo, to have children and grandchildren, and bring a whole Mishpacha to the world, that's a celebration. You know, break out the booze, even though I'm against it, right? And break out the good food, and and and, and break out the music, and everybody dance and go crazy. Potential of these two people is amazing. So we celebrate. Celebrate potential, and people who are good, and, and I, I think Very specifically the rabbis in this room and this whole this whole division of orsah what what they 're celebrating what they're seeing is the kid's potential they 're not looking at him what he is right now they're looking at what he's going to be when he 's in twenty years from now and thirty years from now so people have a we call it the third eye people who, who are who are good mahim and people who are good parents are, are, are people who who don't look at the person for what he is right now, but they see what he's going to become to Bishvat, is a celebration of not what we see. Tu is the, celebrating the potential of the tree. But right now the tree is dead. Right? Right now the tree is dead. It looks dead anyway. It's not dead, but it looks dead. We're celebrating that this tree that looks like it's over, has no leaves, has nothing. Next year, right, we're going to be sitting at the table on Tu eating the fruit from this tree that looks dead. So we're celebrating the potential of that tree every single year. And that's why we don't say Tachon. Yesterday, everyone's all excited, you know, you say Tachon, you come to Shul, you forgot. That's two and they finish one Esrei, and the greatest words you've ever heard in your life, the Chazas starts to say Kaddish. Ah, what's going on? A bris? Is there a bris in Shul? Like what's, a Chazan? No, nope. it's two b'shvat. So the only time we don't say is when there's a Yontif. The yontif of the trees, of a bunch of fruits, is why we should not say tachanun? What does tachanun have to do with celebration of the potential of the esteric tree? What does one have to do with the other? The answer is very beautiful. What's tachanun? Ashamnu, baganu, I sinned, right? I looked where right? I wasn't supposed to look. I listened to what I wasn't supposed to listen. I stole all these other things I did wrong, Right? It's the opposite of a person's potential. It's what if a person did in his past that was wrong. On the day where you celebrate potential, you don't say shalom, Baganlu gazanlu. You don't ask for forgiveness for what you what you did you, used, you did in the past. Past is not potential. Potential is only future. We don't say tachanun. So yesterday we didn't say tachanun because as human beings we, we celebrated what each one of us in this room, not what we came into school as, not what we did last year, but we celebrated what we're going to do this year. Celebrated our potential. So the question is, how does someone reach his potential? What is your potential? Is it what your Rebbe tells you your potential is, or it's what you tell yourself your potential is? So we want to talk about someone whose potential didn't look really great. And what became of him. And I think the, the, the person who's challenged, probably one of the most challenged individuals in the Torah, was Yosef Hatzadik. And it says the following. The Yosef Hurad Mitzrayimah. And Yosef went down Mitzrayimah. You took a, a Jewish boy who's 17 years old. Some guys in this room are 17 years old or they're all older than 17, huh? 18 17, 18. He took a boy who's 17, 18 years old, who sat by his father and learned his whole life, who was the future of Klai Yisrael. When he was born, Yaakov Avinu calmed down because he was the antithesis of Yo- of of Esav. He was the fire that was going to burn Esav, who was the arch enemy of Yaakov Avinu. He was on the highest level and he went down. Because where did his brother sell him to? To the most immoral, to the village in Manhattan. To the most immoral place in the world. To Dizengoff in Tel Aviv. To the worst. To the worst place you could be. Hurat Mitzrayimah. He went down into the depths of Mitzrayim and Rashi says who bought him? Potipha Rashi says but when it says Osnas was by a little bit later on it says that you want to know how far Yosef went down? Potipha was gay it's a Rashi it's not right really Waltzian's opinion <laughs> Potipha was gay and Rashi says that he bought Yosef because Yosef was a pretty boy Mifas he was very beautiful so he bought him to be his boy. Potiphar bought Yosef for himself, Tarashi. So you want to talk about going down? He went from being the son of Yaakov, to being bought as a slave, to be used by his master, for Mishka of Zohar, for Potiphar. So we have to understand how far, where he came from, and where he was now. What happened was, that while he belonged to Potiphar, Potiphar saw something very interesting. He saw that everything, every business deal he went into, every real estate deal he went into, every deal that he went into, he was making crazy money. He never had such good luck in his life. And he realized, and it's a very big muster to all of us, that this low-life gay Mitri realized that it came from Hashem. He didn't say, I'm smart, I'm this, I got good connections. This guy, this low life guy, Mitzri, said I am Matsliach, because I have this Jewish servant and his God is making me Matzliach. There's not a Jewish guy or a Rebbe or a Sheshiva saying this. This is Potiphar. Okay, so Kama Surely we as Jewish people should be able to see that that it's not well, I'm, I'm very rich because my parents are rich. I'm very rich because I know how to do business. I went to college. I have an MBA. No. So it says the following. He was very much liach. Huge. And his master saw, saw, Ki Hashem Ito. He saw that God was with him. When I learned this, I was like shaking because I. Like, <laughs> He was a mitri. He didn't go to yeshiva. He didn't tave. Nobody gave him. He didn't have sifrei muster. Where did this lowlife know if God is with you or not? Potiphar knew ki ito that God was with him. And everything that he did, God made him atzliach. But and he made him the man. He made him the boss of the whole house. He was running the whole mansion, everything. And he gave him everything. He gave him the keys. He gave him control to do everything. What happened? Right? He left everything in his hands. He didn't even know what was going on. Potiphar didn't know what was going on in his own house. He was the butler. He ran the house. Potiphar said, you got the keys. You do everything you want, except my wife except the bread that I eat, says Rashi, he was talking about his wife, he said, you can have everything, and you can be the boss of everything, but not my wife. And the first time the Torah ever describes a man, in this way, and there's only one other time that a person is described this way, and that's Melech, but he, Yosef, Toya, Yosef was very, very pretty. It's not used in a man's lushan at all in the Torah. It's only used for Menu was used for and that's why he had this same DNA as Rachel that Yosef was extremely extremely pretty and Rashi says that he combed his hair and he looked in the mirror and he was a very good looking boy very fascinating very deep chida on this and the chida says what does it mean he was pretty what does it mean that Yosef was pretty why would the Torah tell us this so he says that when Leah was pregnant she had six boys and she was pregnant with the seventh boy. She was pregnant actually with Yosef. But she felt very bad, because if she had seven boys, and the two maidservants, each one had two as four as eleven, that meant that Rachel Imenu would only have one. She felt very bad that Rachel would have one, and the maidservants, who were not even Imenu's, so to say, would have two. So she prayed to Hashem that the baby she was carrying, which was Yosef, would turn into a girl. So that yo, that, that, that way Rachel would still have two. At the same time that she was pregnant with Yosef Leah, Rachel was pregnant with a girl. She was pregnant with Dina. So Hashem made a switch. And he took Yosef from the womb of Leah and put him in, and put it in Rachel. And he took Dina from the womb of Rachel and put it in Leah. What happened? Because the womb was created, Leah's womb was created for a boy, When Dina was put into that womb, so Dina got the DNA of a boy. And that's why it says that she went out. A Tetzai Dina, Tetzai Dina is not the way of a a Jewish girl. A Jewish girl is supposed to stay home. What was she doing going out? Because her DNA, right, she ended up in the womb of Leah, which was carrying a boy, so her DNA ended up being a boy's DNA, so she went out. Yosef ended up in Rachel's womb. Rachel's womb, says the Chidah, had a girl in it. So he got the DNA of a girl. And that's why he was brushing his hair and looking in the mirror. That's not the way of a boy. Most boys anyway. Right? So, that got him into big trouble. Because he was very, very good looking. You want to be a pretty boy? You're looking at yourself? So if you're going to look at yourself and you're trying to comb your hair so you should look good, so I'll, Hashem said, I'll send someone to look at you. You want to look at yourself? I'll send someone to look at you. And that's when he, the, the, the chidot says, Hashem sent the beer, called her the beer, after him to cause to cause him all kinds of trouble. Now, it says that she became very sick because she was so in love with, with Yosef, she so much wanted to sin with him, and he con- continuously refused her that she got sick and she started to lose weight. She couldn't eat. And the Medjah says that her friends, the other all the other women, said to her, well, what's the deal with you? You're losing weight. You know, you get, can, you're sick? What's going on with you? She goes, no, I'm not sick. I have this boy. He's a Jewish slave. He's so beautiful. I can't get him. And it's making me sick. I said, what are you talking about, a Jewish guy and a slave? How can he be so pretty? Impossible. She said, you don't believe me, huh? Okay. So she invited them to the house. And they made a semicircle. And she gave each one an s with a knife because instead of an orange and she said, okay, I'm going to bring him in she brings him in, he's tied in chains his head was held up, it says in a metal that he couldn't bend down and it says that when the women saw him, they were missing the, the estric. when they were cutting it, they were cutting the tops of their fingers, then the, their hands were bleeding, so she turned to them, she said, I'm, I'm sick, look at your fingers you guys are cutting yourselves to pieces so he was pretty good looking and she, as good-looking as he was as a guy, she was that pretty as a girl. The satan, it says, the satan had to do with her creation, because she was the one that was supposed to take Yosef down, and make him do the avera. And if he did that avera, the world would have ended, because he was the foundation of kedusha. And if she broke that foundation, the world's foundation would have been broken, so you know, the world would have been. So this was like the war of the worlds. He was actually a, 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 Gilgal of, of Adam, and she was a Gilgal of the Nachash. So this was big time. And the question is, how did this boy, Tari was telling us, it's set up so, so, he's in so much trouble. He's, he had all the excuses, you know, there are the guys, many guys that I deal with that are off the daroch. They don't keep Shabbos, they're messing around with girls, they're doing every sin that you can imagine. <laughs> I'm like, what's up with you? You come from a religious family. Like, what's going on? He's like, come on, Rabbi. Someone abused me. Rebbe hit me. Someone did this. Someone did that. So uh, I don't want any part of this anymore. If anyone had an excuse to jump ship, if anyone had an excuse to go off the derech, there's no one in the Torah that had a bigger excuse than Yosef. What kind of religion is this? What kind of These were the, these were the shvatim. These were the rabbis. These were the leaders. These were the tzaddikim. You sold your brother, but you didn't first sell him. You stripped him naked. You threw him into an empty pit full of snakes and scorpions, your own brother. You Want to talk about abuse? You want want abuse? You want a reason to jump ship? If anyone had a reason to jump ship, it was him. And then when you saw that the snakes didn't bite me, right? It was a miracle. You threw me in there naked, and they didn't bite me. They didn't touch me. You should have said, well, it looks like Hashem is on his side. Maybe we're wrong. No! You took me out, and you sold me to the worst of the worst. To Mitrayim. So if anyone had a reason to go off to Derech, and he has this beautiful woman who's trying to seduce him, he should have said, the heck with religion? With all you rabbis? I'm in Mitrayim, I'm by myself? There's no YouTube, no one's gonna know what I did, right? It's not gonna get, it's not gonna go viral. I'm going to go do my sin. Who, why, why, why didn't he? Why didn't he? And she didn't stop bothering him. It's a very fascinating medrash. And that's why when it comes to this kind of situation, don't try to talk your way out of it. Just run for your life. So she comes to him and she says to him, you know, what's your problem, man? I'm beautiful. You're beautiful. My husband's not home. It was Paro's birthday. And, and he was the, 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 head butcher. He was the head minister. So he had to go to the party. So Yosef was alone in the house with Potiphar's wife. And she's like, what is your problem? You're the boss. You have control of the house. What's your problem? Yosef said, I have two problems. He should not have did the, he, this was a mistake. He should have just, he should have ran. But instead of that, he said, I'll tell you the truth. I have two problems. Number one, you're married. I don't do adultery. I don't, I don't sleep with married women. Two, you're a guy. I'm a Jew. I don't sleep with non-Jewish girls. And this cannot happen. But she was a sorcerer, the Chidot says. And she was very brilliant. She said to him, Okay, first, the first thing that you don't commit adultery, that I'm a married woman, she said, You know in Jewish law, I know in Jewish law, when it comes to non-Jews, how do you get married? How do you make kedushin? So by by, by Jews, there's three ways: there's, there's kesef, money, shtar, a contract, or bia, being with the woman physically. Those are the three ways that in Jewish law. But in non-Jewish law, the only way that you can consummate a marriage is being physically with the with you know with the woman. So she said, "You know, my husband's gay. So you know more than anyone else that my husband never consummated this marriage. He never slept with me." So in Jewish law, according to Jewish law, your law, I'm not married. So Asha says, I'm not. I'm a single woman. So adultery is not a problem. Out, out of the way. Also, so I'm not a Jew. She said, I know how to read the stars. I used to read the stars. They were stargazers. He said, I know how to read the stars. And I know that you know how to read the stars. Your father taught you. Let's go look at the stars. And see if God if God wants us to be together or not. So they go out and look at the stars. And in the stars it shows that from Potiphar's wife and Yosef are coming two stars. Two tzaddikim. She said, if your whole reason is that I'm not Jewish, look at what God wants. God wants in the stars that the two of us should be together because from us are coming Ephraim and anasha." And Yosef looked at the stars and that's what it said. The mistake that she made was that she had adopted Osnas Osnas, which was her daughter and he married Osnas and from him and Osnas came Ephraim and So from her came Ephraim and but not from her and Yosef. From Osnas who came from her and Yosef. So the stars were saying the truth but the, the reading of the stars wasn't true. So he's stuck. Once you give a reason if the person blows out the reason he stuck. He told her adultery. She said, "Not adultery." He said, "You're not Jewish." She said, "Look, God wants it." So he had a very big problem. Now he was in very big trouble because she blew away both his answers. So she said, "Okay, Yosef. Now what? Now let's go. Let's do the sin." Now, if you look in the pasuk, there's two two very fascinating things here. One is. She said, sleep with me. He refused. And he says the following. Listen to this speech. He gives her a speech. <laughs> to his master's wife. Your husband doesn't even know what's in the house. He gave me everything. There's no one, excuse me, a whole speech. There's no one greater than me. Except, he gave me everything except you. Now, this is what he says. How could I do such a terrible thing? It would be a sin to Hashem. What is he saying over here? So, first of all, there's a very important lesson. I actually spoke about it last night. So, my mentor, my Rosh Hashiva in Chinuch of girls, was Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald, who passed away last week. Yesterday, I went to be... be, um, Necham avail of his, his children here in Eretz Yisrael and his wife. And I told him the following. And I quoted this. I'm, I think it's Rav Shem I'm not sure. So it says on the word that he refused, Vayim How did he refuse her? Where did he get the strength in this faraway land where nobody was going to catch him? And anyway, he was angry about what his brothers did. Where did he get that strength from? So on the word Vayim that he refused her, right? There's a Shalas. If you look, a shalshalas, when you read the Torah Chumash, so every word has a musical note on it. On the word Vayimayin, which has a musical note, it's called a shalshalas. So it's Vayimayin. sounds like a siren. Now a shalshalas is a chain. And a chain connects two things. So this Vayimayin, this word, I refuse, has a chain above it. What's chained above it? So if you look in the parasha, you have to find another Vayimayin. Because Vayimayin is changed to Vayimayin. There's one other Vayimayin in this week's in that in that parish. What was it? Vayimayin Yaakov Lehisnachim. They came to Yaakov and they wanted to be Nikhum Availam. Yosef died. So all his kids came to be Manachemavel. And Yaakov said, Manachemavil? I refuse, I refuse. Get out of here. Get out of my house. There's no there's no sinning Shiva here. I said, what do you mean? He said, You brought me a coat. It's full of blood. It looks like an animal ripped up my kid, but you didn't bring me a dead body. So I refuse to admit that my son is dead. I refuse to give up on my child until I see a dead body. Yes, it looks really bad. I put so much work into this kid. 17 years of trust and belief and chinuch and love. I have Yaakov as Yosef. I love him. There's no way I'm giving up on someone that I love, that I put so much into, until I see his body dead. But your mind, Yaakov Lisnachem, he said, get out of my house. Don't come here to be Menachem Oval. There's no oval. Says Rafshim Pinkas, I believe it's he who said this. Hundreds and thousands of miles away, there's this young boy in the test of his life, with the most beautiful woman who wants him to sin. But you Yosef, what gave Yosef the power to refuse this woman is because he knew that he had a father. There was someone in the world that refused to give up on him. And when a person knows that there's someone in the world that refuses to give up on him, on, him, on himself, he will not give up on himself. When you think, and never we've had 13 suicides just in the New York area this past year, and those were all kids who believed that everyone gave up on them. When you think everyone gave up on you, that's when you give up on yourself. If there's one person, it could be a Rebbe, it could be a friend, it could be a parent. And specifically, it could be yourself. If there's one person in the world that you know refuses to give up on you, it will give you the strength to refuse to give up on yourself. But you mind Yosef, how did Yosef refuse her? Because of Vayimoyen Yaakov. He knew that my father out there, he doesn't see my my body dead. I know my father. He still thinks I'm alive. He will refuse to give up on me. How could I do this sin? How could I give up on myself? And that's what Rashi says, Dikunay Shalaviv. What do you mean he saw? His father showed up in the window. It was a miraculously uh, magic. He showed the Dikunay Shalaviv. He showed what his father was all about. My father is the person who doesn't give up on me. When you know that, then you don't give up on yourself. I cannot vouch for anyone's parents. You know what? Some of us have parents that give up on us. But everyone that's in this room, if you're not a parent, will be a parent. It is very important that your children know that no matter how far they fall, or what they're doing, or where they're at, that you never will give up on them. Because in their deepest, deepest, darkest place, when they want to give up on themselves, they'll know that they're by Yemayin Yaakov, by Yemayin Moshe, by Yimayin Eli, whatever your name is, that that person is refusing to give up on me, that gives you the kayak to refuse to give up on yourself. And of course, when all is lost, and you think that everyone gave up on you, and you're giving up on yourself, by Yemayin Hashem We have Hashem, we have a God that says, I will wait to the last second of a person's life for him to turn to me. Hashem says, I will never, ever give up on a Jewish soul, on a Jewish person. And when I spoke to Menachem Avol, this was Rabbi Greenwald all over Shalom, he was a man that had the ability to meet a kid, and when that kid walked away from him, that kid knew that there is someone in this world, Rabbi Greenwald, who refuses, will never give up on me. And that gave all these kids the strength, not to give up on themselves. And that's what saved Yosef Azaleh. that he had such a father. But there was a second point, and I think this is really a very important point specifically to make here today. And the second point is like this. He gives a whole speech to this lady. She's like, come on, let's get it on, let's go. Hey, I gotta, you know, he's a Jew. Well, hold on, we gotta talk about this, you know. I gotta give a share. He gives a whole share. He gives a whole share. She wants to do an Avera. Let's go, let's go to the bedroom. And he's like, Hold on, I, I gotta talk. We gotta talk. I, I gotta give you a share. So give the whole share, don't you know? Your husband gave me the. You know, I have the power. I run the whole house. Nobody even knows what's going on in the house except me. And she's like, So oh, let's go." Like, "Hello, okay, very nice, good speech. I know that you're the what? Let's go. Let's do that, right?" And then he goes, and it will be a sin to Hashem." I just told you it's not a sin to Hashem. I'm not married. It's not adultery. I showed you the stars, were gonna, what, what, what are you talking about? Yes, what said, you're right. It's not adultery. And it looks like God wants this. I'm all mixed up. I don't understand, is it? But if your husband gave me, he's not even your husband, whoever this man is, gave me the keys to the house and gave me his trust and let me be not a slave, but sort of a master over the house. For me to to sin with you would make me a kafri toiv. Would make me an ingrate. That's how you pay back someone who gives you everything in his house? It doesn't make sense. It has to be something wrong in God's eyes. An ingrate? A person who instead of Thanking and showing gratitude shows non-gratitude. He says, I don't, I don't know how or why, but to me this seems like, uh, I understand all the excuses, but for, to me it sounds like, in, uh, in God's eyes, doing this to a man who gave you everything has to be a sin. One of the biggest problems, and I have a whole share on this on Torah anytime, that we all go through, there's something called rationalization. Where we can do the biggest sin, and we can make it right in our own minds. The, the greatest rationalization I ever saw in my life, so there was this woman, a friend, a, a, a person that I knew, because I deal with a lot of people, there was this woman who was committing adultery. She was married, and she was sleeping with a, another married guy. She was doing the aver, the biggest aver. But the halakh is, if the husband doesn't believe it, so she's not also to the husband yet. So they wanted me to talk to her and say, "Listen, you got to stop this because the minute your husband believes it, it's over." So I called her and t- she was in my house. My wife's a witness to this, and she sits down. She's committing adultery. Okay, she sits down. And I'm like, "You got to stop this." I mean, this is like the avera. If you get pregnant, the child's a mamzer. I mean, this is this is crazy stuff. I said, "You have to stop this." She said, like, "Well, said you don't understand." I'm like, no, honestly, I don't understand. I know their husband and their kids, but you're out of your mind, you're out of your freaking mind. You're out of your, you're nuts. What's wrong with you? You're destroying everything. Like, she says, No, you don't understand. I'm like, okay, explain it to me. She says, the guy that I'm with, he's my Zivug. But <laughs> she says, I'm like, how do you know? How do you know he's my Zivug? She says. The minute I met him, I knew that my husband's the one guy and that he's my real Zebug. I can prove it to you. I'm like, okay, prove it to me. Listen to, listen to rationalization. She's doing the biggest of error. She's high of everything in the other world, and I won't even tell you what she's high of, right? This is what this woman tells me. She goes, if he wasn't my Zebug, and Hashem didn't want this, why did he he put this man? Five houses away from me on the same block. <laughs> it was a riot that, that if he wasn't my zebra, I would have never met him. I would have never lived on the block. Because I watched this. I sat there looking at a woman committing adultery. The ultimate averi, you have to die. You have to die before you commit adultery. You have to shoot yourself in the head. That's the, one of the three averis. You have to blow your head off before you commit adultery. This woman's telling me, no, it's been Hashemayim. Look at the stars. Hashem wants me to do this. Why? Because if he wasn't my Zivik, why does he live on my block? She rationalized this very She actually sat there and thought she's doing a mitzvah. That's how screwed up we can get. That's how smart your Jehoshua is whilst you're sitting in a casino in the lowest place. No one's dressed correctly. You're in the lowest place in the world. And you think... Did you have Moshe Feinstein because you're giving these people money. Yeah, it happened to me, so I can understand it. We rationalize all our sins and we make it right, or we become atheists. <laughs> all of a sudden, there's no God. I deal with them all the, every single day, all day long. Guys, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, prove me God, Wallstein. You know, I, I, my most famous story with this is. I have a friend. He came to me one day, and he's in Borough Park. He says, hey Wallstein, I have a friend. He's 45 years old, a guy. He's making a lot of money. He Has a beautiful family. A year ago, he just woke up one day, and he said he doesn't believe in Hashem. Nobody can prove God. No one, you know. It's, it's he became an atheist, agnostic, atheist." There's no God, and you know you're the, you're, the, you're our last hope. The group of Hasidim is friends. He doesn't keep Shabbos. He eats on Yom Kippur quietly. His kids go to yeshiva they get payas. He didn't he didn't cut off his payas or his beard. He keeps nothing. He doesn't believe in anything. Okay, could you please talk to him? I'm like, all right, I'll try. So the guy comes to my office. It's a whole story. I went downstairs to get a diet Whatever. I met him. He comes to my office, and he's sitting in my office. Good looking guy. Good looking Hasidish guy. Put together. Sits down. He goes, "Oh, I heard about you. You're the guy on the tapes. Oh, my friend said that you can prove Hashem. You can prove God." He said, "I have so many questions. There's no way, Wallerstein, that you're going to win this vikua between us. You're not going to win this." I'm like, "It's not a question of winning. I'm not. It's not, a, it's not a. It's not a battle. I'm not looking to win or lose." He says, "How do you know something exists? You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't touch it. Just because someone." He's, I said, stop, stop, stop. I said, stop, stop. He said, oh, you ready? You can't answer my first question? I'm like, no, no, no. I said, instead of answering all your questions, I just came back from to Yisrael. I spent a year with the biggest m'kubble from a whole I don't need to go through all your questions. He walked in. I just read the lines on your forehead. He, <laughs> said, he says, don't give me that blank. Come on, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, yes, I can. He goes, yeah, yeah. What did you see? I said, you promised to tell me the truth? He goes, sure. I'm like, you don't have any questions. I'll tell you what you do have. You have a mistress, a shiksa, that you're sleeping with. Excuse me? I said, you don't have any questions. You have a mistress, a shiksa, that you met a year ago. Who told you? What are you talking about? My fo- what you-? He says, he puts, he, he puts his hand on his forehead. I said, I read, I read it already. You, can, you can't cover it. He says, that is sick! He says, no one, you swear, you swear you're not going to tell. I said, I'm not telling anyone anything. He says, no one knows about it, even my best friends. He says, how do you know this? I'm like, it's that middle line. It goes a little bit crooked to the left. He's like, you serious? You have a mirror? I have to see this. I'm like, no. I said, I'm pulling your leg. I'm not, I'm a cobble. You're a 45-year-old guy. serious guy. The first thing I asked him was to show me a picture of his wife and his kids. Beautiful kids, beautiful wife. You're rich. you are see That means a hot mick for every day. That means chillin' Friday, chillin' Thursday night, chilly Friday afternoon, chillin' chavez. I said, chillin' Kogel, Kishka, Grievin, the boys, Tish. What a life. You don't just wake up in the morning and question God. Nobody leaves their environment willingly. People from Alaska don't move to Miami. People from Miami don't move to Alaska. When someone leaves their environment, it's because they got pushed out or drawn out of their environment. I said, I'm thinking to myself, 45-year-old guy has everything. Why would he just walk out of everything he's used to? It must be there's something on the side that he likes better. And the first thing we do when we want to sin is we get rid of God. I said, so what came first, the shiksa or the questions? The shiksa came first. And the questions are your answer to your behavior. So as long as you have questions, then you don't have to deal with God. Every single guy that I deal with that claims to be an atheist, has got something going on on the side. Every one of them. Whether it's a girl, or they want to eat treif, or they want to do something that they feel that God's against, they get rid of God. He's the first one to go. Why? Because if God's out of the picture, I can do whatever I want. So all of a sudden we have do all these questions. But I deal with girls also. These are not questions. It's because I want to talk to a boy. It's because I want to be with a boy. Okay, so say, listen, I believe in God, but I, I can't control myself. That's fine. I mean, we can deal with that. But, you know, don't throw the kid out with the water from the bathtub when the drain opens up. Don't let the, the kid get sucked down the drain. Just let the dirty water get sucked down the drain. So this is what happened here. Yosef said, at the end of the day, don't rationalize. This is wrong. How do I know it's wrong? Because in the end of the day, I'm hurting another person. The guy who gave me his trust, I'm breaking that trust, so even though everything else makes sense, that has to be wrong. A very famous story that happened here in Israel that left me with a very big lesson. I read this in the Jerusalem Post. Wow. Must be 20, 20 years ago. There was a group of, there, were, there was a whole group of Israeli soldiers who went into the Judean desert. I don't know if any of you have been there. In the winter it's pretty dangerous because they have these flash floods that people get killed. In the summer it's crazy hot in the Judean desert. And they were chasing some terrorists. And two of the Israeli soldiers got separated from the rest of the unit. And they're stuck in this desert. It's like 140 degrees in the summer. It's like beating down on them. And they, they ran out of water. And they're on top of this sand dune. Because they were hoping that some helicopters would see them. So they climbed to the top of the sand dune and they're dying. They have no water, they're dying. And what happens when you're when when you you dying of thirst, you begin to hallucinate. You begin to see things that aren't there. And that's how a person dies. He keeps running after water that's not there and finally he's done. One of the two got fever and he was much sicker than the other one. And he was telling his friend, listen, I see at the bottom of the sand dune, there's a lake. In the middle of the desert, there's a lake. His friend's like, are you a Are you crazy? Just stay up here. There's no lake. Don't go down. Not only wasn't the guy, was he not going to go down, but he started to schlep the good guy with him because he was crazy. And he was very strong. And he was schlepping him down the sand dune. And the guy realized, if he schleps me down, they were both going to die on the bottom. So he had to think of something fast. There's a whole article in the Jerusalem Post. So what did he do? He was brilliant. So the other soldier who was being schlepped, said, so, okay, okay, let go. Stop, stop, stop. I'm going to go with you. There's a lake I'm going to go with you. Do me a favor. The sun's out. It's very, very bright. The sun's out. The sky is blue. You agree? Yes. He says, just look at your lake. Do you see a reflection of the sun? If it's water, if it's true, you'll see a reflection. If it's a mirage and it's sand, there is no reflection in sand. So, if you see a reflection, I'm going with you. So the guy who's sick looks weird. He's looking at a lake. But in the reflection of the lake, there's nothing. There's no sun. There's no blue sky. He turns to his friend. He says, it's so weird. I don't see a reflection. He says, of course you don't see a reflection. Sand doesn't reflect. Hang out with me a little bit longer. It says that, like were, two hours later, they were still up there. They found him and they saved him. And he wrote a letter. The guy who was dying, who wanted to go down to the lake wrote a letter about how the other soldier, how smart he was, and the whole thing of the reflection. And I read this story in the Jerusalem Post. And I said to myself, wow, that's what happened here. She's telling Yosef outside, they get some mitzvah, we're going to have two tzaddikim, look at the stars, it's not an avera. Yosef said, I hear you. Let me look at the reflection in the act. I'm, a, I'm about to commit a sin. Let me see. If I see what I'm about to do, that that's what Hashem wants, let's do it. But if at the same time I'm an ingrate, and the person who gave me everything, I'm sort of cheating on him, can't be the reflection of Hashem. If there's no reflection of Hashem in this deed, it's sand. It's the Satan's mirage. There's no reflection of Hashem in a casino. So, had I learned that, had I realized that, you're wearing a yarmulke and you're giving tips, is that what Hashem wants? He wants Wall Street to be in a casino with Caesars? Where people half dress with people half-dressed with gamblers and, and giving out money, that's what he wants? Give the money for tzedakah, what are you doing? You, you, you want to give it to a shift for a bunch of Goyim? Give it to a shift of guys who are coming through shul collecting money, what are you doing? Is, is, there, is there a reflection of God in a casino? For sure not. Is there a reflection of God of committing adultery because the guy lives five houses down? So even though the H.R.R. is telling you all that, is God, do I see his yudke, vavke, reflection in adultery? Of course not. You know, I deal with girls specifically, and you know, the latest thing, I don't have to tell the boys here, they all know. Right, so, girls are maternal. So how do guys get girls to sin? Right, they're maternal. So, girls come to me and they're like, Rabbi you don't understand, I, I, I know it's not, I'm not Shemini gia and, and we're doing all kinds of stuff, and I know it's not, I shouldn't be doing this, but Rabbi Wallston, you know, ever since I met Chaim... He, he started wearing tillin. <laughs> Chaim told me that, you know, Chaim tells me that he wasn't even religious till he met me, now he's religious. I mean, I can't walk away from him. Or, um, you know, he never used to talk to his parents, but because of me, he now has kivut of aim. I'm like, the two, of you are Chaim Kares. She's, she's Anida. He's of Levatala. You're both Chaim Kares in every which way. Oh, Chaim's putting on tefillin because of you. So of course the guys are very smart, because they know the girls are maternal. So how do they get the girls? They're like, oh, ever since I met you, I got so much from her. You got so much from her. You're Chayyim Misa every night with her. What do you mean you got so much from her? Right. So the answer is, I told them, I said, look at the reflection of what you're doing. You're a Nida. You're Chayyim You're causing, you're and a machli. You're both causing each other to be Chayyim Karaz. Right? So is the reflection, is, when you're in bed together, do you see the reflection of God? Is that what you see? When you're not a gear, is that what you see? So if you see the reflection of God, then you must be on some really good stuff because the reflection of God is definitely not there. So then you have to realize that what are you doing? So, so there's one yeshiva, I'm not going to say the name of the yeshiva, where 90% of the boys are woken up for Shachris. The Vekar can't get them up. Mashkiah can't get them up. They're all woken up by girls. The girls are like, if you get up for Shachris, then we can hang together. Sure, that's great. Right? But the girls are much smarter than Mashkifim because the girls make them leave the phone on until they hear the Kaddish or Baruchu in the. in the, They're very smart. They're like, if you don't hear Kaddish or Baruchu, we're going to break it up. Like, you idiot. Break it up now. You're going to hear Kaddish or Baruchu? Wow, what are you doing? Every night, you that you want to hear Kaddish or Baruchu? That's the Meshuggah, that's the Satan. That's what he does. He makes you think that the worst that I've heard in the world is a mitzvah. Everything's a mitzvah. Getting yourself drunk at a wedding is a mitzvah, right? Because I'm being misameach, I just had this by my wedding. This kid was so drunk that they called Hatzalah, really. But I saw him drinking and he was under 21. I, I went to that, I said, what are you doing, right? And he's like, no, I need to be misameach the chasson. I'm like, if you don't love the chasson enough to be misameach, you're not being misameach the chasson, you're being misameach the guys who made Johnny Walker Blue. Because there's another empty bottle that they need to fill we'd be with some man, we see by drinking? Right? At the end of the night we took they took about he was he wasn't they couldn't they couldn't wake him, they couldn't they were shaking him. I don't even I don't even know what happened to him. They carried him out of the wedding. Because in his head he was doing the right thing. Is that what Hashem wants? A bunch of drunk guys? By wedding? Is that you see the reflection, JK vavke. you see reflection of God? Is that what you see? The answer is it's rationalization. I gotta drink. Because if I don't drink, I can't be happy for someone else. So then you're very sick. Something very wrong. If you can't be happy for your friend without drinking, then you're not really happy for your friend. So the way to know if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing is exactly what happened here by Yisrael Tzadnik. The Chotas <laughs> Tilo he said to her, this is a sin that I'm doing to Hashem. Because even though you make a lot of sense what you're saying, I just looked in the water. And there's no reflection of Yudke Vavke. And that's what a person needs to do. A person needs to see every act that he does, whatever he does. In the end of the day, the Yitzhak has all kinds of excuses. In the end of the day, is this what God wants for me? If the answer is no, you stop right there. It's over. And that's when he ran out. That's when Yitzhak Tzadik ran out, when he realized. There was also just a very interesting medrash. At the last moment, she got up. The medrash says... And she got out of bed, they were in bed, and she got out of bed and she took a sheet and she covered, at the end of the bed was her avoydizara, was an idol. And she covered the idol. And Yosef said to her, what are you doing? She said, we can't do this sin in front of my idol. So I covered him up. So Yosef jumped up and said, there's no sheet big enough, the medrash, to cover my God's eyes. And he realized what he was about to do and he ran out. She could cover her idol, but there's no way that you could cover so this this whole parsha of of Yosef HaTzadik was a very interesting challenge that we all go through. It doesn't have to be adultery. It has anything to do with in life? You know, I'm sleeping late, shachris. I'm missing shachris because I want to stay up to stay to the night before. So I want to stay up late to learn. So I'm not going to come to davening the next morning. So if you look at the reflection in that decision, does Hashem want me to miss minyan, baruch Hu, all the kaddishes? Krias HaTorah, all these things does he doesn't want me to miss, so I should stay up later at night for sure. Not, he wants you to, to act normal and to stay up to a normal time and to learn, and he wants you to go to the minion. There's so many things that we do that we that we that we rationalize in our head, and the way to know if the rationalization is correct or incorrect is to look at the reflection of what you're about to do or of what you've done. Okay, so I want to end with a story. And this is a whole thing, by the way, in Sodom. Sodom, that's the question why Abraham Avinu didn't go to Sodom to try to be Makar of them. Sodom had a whole religion. And their religion was that you you should not help a person who's who's poor, because God made him poor. If he's sick, let him die. God made him sick. If you interfere, and you're a doctor, we're going to kill you. Because you're off the direct. They had a whole religion. That's why Abraham Avinu said, when, when, when doing wrong, ISIS, ISIS will never change. If we don't kill them physically, they will never change. Why? Because they don't look at themselves as murderers; they look at themselves as martyrs. That killing another person is a mitzvah. Once it came out that they believe that killing the infidel, killing a Jew, killing a Christian, killing a non-person from from Islam, is a mitzvah, well, there's nothing you can do once it becomes a mitzvah. They rationalize. So when they kill someone, they chop you into little pieces. When they stab a Jewish woman a hundred times in front of her kids, right? It's a mitzvah. If they say I'm a murderer, I'm a low life, I want to do this, okay, maybe they can change. But they're doing it, and they're saying Hindi Mukhlum Zuman, mitzvah say mitzvah it's a mitzvah. Once it's a mitzvah, you cannot change it. So a person, the most important thing is that we understand that we're very real with ourselves, and that we go inside ourselves and we understand what God wants. And what God doesn't want. So I want to end with this story, which I think is a, a very important story. So I, I have this organization called Ornava. It's an organization for girls. I have a high school. I have a seminary. I got a bunch of stuff going on. And there's a lot of kids in it that are that are struggling with with a lot of things. About six years ago, I made a dinner. Well, I wanted to make a dinner. So we, that's how we raise money. We make dinners. So. We had 800 people by every year by the dinner, but six years ago, there was a big problem in New York, a big problem in the money in the markets in the world, and I made this dinner, and I made 750 reservations by the, by the, uh, the guy who was catering it and the hall, and I had these people that I was honoring. Two weeks before the dinner, the girls in my office come into my office and say, Wallace, we need to talk to you. I'm like, What's going on? We got a problem. What's the problem? We have 70 reservations. I'm like, are you kidding me? At this point, we need to have at least 500 out of the 700. I said, you have 70 couples? Or 70 people? They're like, no, we have 35 couples. I'm like, I think we need to cancel it. They're like, that's why we came. I think we need to cancel it because no one's going to show up. If you don't cancel two weeks before, you got to pay the caterer and the hall. You're talking about like $100,000, a lot of money. I said, well, I really can't cancel it because the honorees, who were people that I knew very well, would be so insulted if only 70 people showed up. Or if I canceled it, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know what to do. It's two weeks before. It's disaster. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You go to Davin. Why do you go to Davin? Because the best ideas come during Shemot Hesre. Right? When you're Davin Hesre, that's when all the ideas come into your head. I personally say, T'vils Aderech." Before I go, start Shemona Esrei, because I know that in the middle of Shemona Esrei, I'm going on a long trip. And sometimes when I come out of Shemona Esrei, really, I bench going going Because I went so far, I went so far. So, you know, during Shemona Esrei, you get all these ideas, crazy ideas. I have a friend that told me that any idea he gets during Shemona Esrei, he doesn't do. But really, you get good ideas. So I figured, you know, let me dive and During Shemona Esrei, Hashem will tell me in my head if I should do this or not. So I go to Shemona Shabbos in Borough Park. My office is right next door. And of course, when you want to get ideas during Shemenev right, you don't get any ideas. I'm standing there. Das, just translation. Hashivayno, just translation. Modim, just, just translation. I'm not getting no messages, dinner, no dinner. I finish Mincha, no messages. I leave. I'm, I'm canceling the dinner. That was my decision. There's, a, there's someone there, Rabbi Simcha a Soloveitchik, tall guy, he sees me, he says, Wallerstein, you look sabrachen, so you look broken. What's going on? You're always so happy. I'm like, oh, I simply have no idea. I got a dinner in two weeks. I got 70 people coming. I got 750 reservations. It's a disaster. And the people, if I cancel, they'll never give me money again. I don't know what to do. He said, I'll tell you a story. This is a very important story for everyone. This is what he told me. He said, there was this guy, his name was Yankel, And he had a farm. And he came outside of his house. And there was a huge 25-ton boulder in front of his house. No human being can move a 25-ton boulder. You couldn't move a one-ton boulder. He comes out, and he hears a voice. Yanko! Push the boulder! He looks up. He says, God, is that you? Yes. Push the boulder. This is Alavitchik telling me this story. Okay? He starts to push, and he's schwitzing, and he's pushing, and his his neck muscles up. And for half an hour, he's pushing his brains out. Of course, he doesn't move it. He says, okay, I tried... He goes to work. This happens every single day for a year. Yonkel, push the boulder. Is that you God? Yes! And he's pushing, of course it doesn't move. One day he comes out of his house, and leaning on the boulder is this mean looking angel. And Yonkel says, who are you? He says, I'm the devil. I'm the Satan. He says, what are you doing here? He says, Yonkel, you know, everybody thinks like I'm a really mean little life. I am. But I have a little pity. I have to tell you what's really going on in heaven. That's what's going on. He says, you know, we came, we complained to God, all the angels, that um, we work 24-7 and we need a break. So God said, okay, every morning, I'll give you half an hour, all the angels don't have to work, comedy relief. What's the comedy relief? You're all going to watch a human being, a stupid human being, try to push a 25-ton boulder. He says, every single day we sit in Shemayim, Yanko, and we watch you push and push and sweat. And we're like, what is this guy doing? It's 25 times. He's an idiot. And we laugh, and then we go to work. He says, I can't watch it anymore. I'm just something, but I, I have a heart. Stop! You look like an idiot. was like, oh. he was very plain. He's like, oh, Hashem is using me. He's using me as comedy relief. I'll show Hashem. Next day. God shows up. Yanko, push the boulder. He looks up and says, Yeah, God, sure. You want all the angels to watch me? All- it's over. It's over. You know I can't move that boulder. I am not doing this anymore. Hashem says, Excuse me? I never told you to move the boulder. I told you to push the boulder. Yanko, you are the best boulder pusher since I created the world No one has tried to push, no one has pushed a boulder as hard as you. You are the number one boulder pusher. He goes, really? Yes. Thank you. And he goes into the field and he's all happy. And the sultan's waiting for him. And sultan says, what are you all happy about? He goes, oh man, you almost tricked me. I am the best boulder pusher. Not my job to move the boulder, that's God's job. I am the best boulder pusher in the world something says excuse me are you that stupid i mean do you realize what god told you he told you you are the best do it nothing in the world that for half an hour you are the best pushing a boulder that doesn't move i mean you're happy about this you're an idiot he's like you're right why would i push a boulder that doesn't move you know what i'm done i gotta go get blitzed i'm going to the bar i can't i can't deal with this so he starts walking to town to go to the bar he comes around the turn there's a woman in the middle of the street and she's screaming, help me, help me, help me. My husband, he's underneath the wagon. He was changing the tire and the wagon fell on him. Please run to the city and get help. Yackel says, run to the city. There's no time to run to the city. He's suffocating. I'll lift the wagon. You pull him out. She goes, sir, you know what's in that wagon? 500 pounds of flour. No human being can lift the wagon. Please run to town. He goes, to town, the man is He says, listen to me, lady. I'm going to pull this wagon up six inches, and you pull your husband out. She goes, unless you're Superman, there's no way you can do that. He says, well, I'm sure you're going to try. And he bends down. This Mr. Simkonsolivachik is telling me this. And he bends down, and he starts to pull this wagon. And all those muscles in his legs, his arms, and his neck that he built in the last year of pushing something that didn't move come into play. And he just lifts it six inches, and she pulls him out, and she turns to him and says, I can't believe you 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 saved my husband. You are Superman. Thank you so much. And he's like, don't thank me. A year ago, I never would have been able to save your husband. But there's a boulder in front of my house that God told me to push. He knew I couldn't move it because I wasn't supposed to move it. I was supposed to build up my muscle for now to save your husband. So Rav Simcha turned to me and said, Wallerstein! Your job is to make a dinner. God's job is to make it successful or not. It's not up to you. You're a human being. Go make the dinner. Guys, I'm sitting by an Arunach dish. It was the biggest dinner I've ever had. I had over 900 people in two weeks. Why? Everyone who came heard that nobody was coming. So all the guys felt bad. And no one's going to come to my dinner, so they had weddings and really and by mitzvahs. Everybody showed up because they heard all, oh, and each guy was thought that I made a rumor. When they came, there were eight hundred other people there. And they're like, why'd you make up a rumor? I'm like, I promise you, two weeks before my dinner, I had seventy people. They're like, nah, nah, you made it up. It was a ploy. You, you're genius. It's marketing. I'm like, no, I'm not genius. It wasn't marketing. I didn't make it up. The it was the biggest dinner that I ever had. What's what's the moral of the story? Why am I telling you this story before I leave? The moral of the story is that we have. We have many struggles in life. And sometimes we struggle and it's like, I want to get up for davening. I want to stop talking to girls. I want to stop this. And you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep failing. And you're like, where's God? Where's my help? I want to do the right thing. He's not helping me. And you keep pushing the rock and you keep pushing the rock and the rock doesn't move. And you're like, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm making a fool out of myself. And the answer is that not always is the rock supposed to move. Sometimes the struggle is what builds up what we call struggle muscle. And you're not supposed to move the rock. You're supposed to build up enough muscle, that when you come around the corner, that struggle that you went through, you'll be able to help someone who's going through the same struggle. I call it struggle muscle. The more struggle muscle a person has, and last year I told you my story, the more struggle muscle a person has, the more ability he has to carry others. Because what struggle muscle does it gives you the muscle to carry other people that are struggling. So we're not always, we made up, we're coming to our sameach, whatever it is, I'm going to learn, I'm not going to miss Minion, you miss Minion. I'm, not, I'm going to stop talking to girls, you, you continue talking to girls. And you try, and you try, and you try. And then some guys just say, you know what, I'm giving up, it's done. I'm not getting the help that I need. And Hashem's like, you keep pushing, and you keep pushing, and you keep pushing. Not always is the rock going to move. But for sure, while you're struggling and you're pushing, you're going to build up a lot of good muscle. And with that muscle, you'll be able to carry others, and you'll be able to carry yourselves. We, in Klai Israel have a lot of struggle muscle, over 2,000 years, of pushing, Mashiach going to come, shit's going to come, Shemitah, this, that, all kinds of simon, Mashiach going to come, and we're, pushing, and we're pushing, and we're pushing, and we're pushing, and the boulder's not moving, and the sultan's laughing, You say, ha, look at all you guys, you're trying, and you're doing and the boulder, and the answer is, Hashem is saying, you just keep pushing. Your job is to push the boulder. My job, says Hashem, is to move it. Vayimayim Yaakov lihiz The power that Yosef had to refuse to do that Avera was he knew that he had a father that would not give up on him. We also have that father, guys. And we also have a father that we know in Shemayim he will never, ever give up on us. Our job is to keep pushing. That's what you're doing here. You're here to push that rock. His job, sooner or later, will be to move that rock. And that rock is the Evan HaPina, the cornerstone of the, of, the, of the third Beis so we're sitting here and I don't know how many guys just started Sameach, and how many guys just started this program and you may look like that's not the person who you thought it is and you look like that tree in the winter we don't say Tachanon on the day of the birthday of that tree in the winter because we don't look at the person's past we don't say we look at what this tree is going to give so that's a very big chizik, specifically now in the winter that you hear in Eretz Yisrael and it's a long stretch till Pesach. We have an extra andar. But even though you may not be where you want to be in life right now, but just like the tree outside we celebrate that has no leaves, we celebrate us because we are called, in Kabbalah, we're called Eit Hasadah. We're called the, the tree of the field. We are considered like a tree because a tree has the most potential of anything in Samach. A tree gives shade, A tree gives wood for all your tables and all your chairs. A tree gives fruit. There's nothing that... There's no plant in the world that gives more than the giving tree. Oxygen. And gives oxygen, right. Change carbon dioxide to oxygen. So the tree is the giving tree. There's nothing more in the world that gives more than a tree. And right now they look dead. And we're celebrating them. A person gives more than a tree. A person is called the Etos Southern. So even if right now we don't see the fruit, we celebrate... Potential. And every person sitting in this room, sitting in this yeshiva, that potential is there. And that's why it's a yantif. And that's why tubishvat is a yantif. May my bracha to everyone here is, may you all realize and recognize your potential. Thank you very much. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by Torahanytime.com.